0: Good morning. Good morning, you know it's funny, and today is baptism sunday and uh we 're going to uh, we're, this is a message I did several years ago actually, but um, I think it 's important that we revisit it every now and then because this is one of the most questioned uh, teachings and mis- maybe misunderstood teachings that uh, that take place in the church because everybody has a you know depending on their background and their denominational background they have a different understanding it 's funny to me because you think about translations, uh, translations from other languages. It gets confusing sometimes. Uh, when you think about trying to translate from one language and culture into another, sometimes the translation doesn't work so well. I've got a few examples, like like this one up here. This was a sign that was found in a, a parish dress shop, um, dresses for street walking. I'm not sure how that came across, but if you're reading that in English, that would... Here's another one. This was a Rome laundry. It says, ladies, leave your clothes here and spend the afternoon having a good time might want to think of a different way of saying that here's another one um roads a Rhodes tailor shop says this are your summer suit because this big rush we will execute customers in strict rotation <laughs> not sure i want to use that store okay here's one um a norwegian lounge ladies are requested not to have children in the bar <laughs> always a good idea to go to the hospital okay um a tokyo shop says this our ni- nylons cost more than common but they are better for the long run <laughs> I actually think that would be a good slogan. but uh, (laughs) Okay, here's one. Uh, Bangkok dry cleaner. Drop your trousers here for best results. (laughs) I can only imagine what that street was like. Um, How about this one? Uh, A Swiss menu says this. Our wines leave you nothing to hope for. (sighs) It's usually the last stop. (laughs) All right, I like this one. Uh, A Sarajevo hotel says this. The flattening of underwear with pleasure is the job of the chambermaid. (laughs) I prefer to take them off. Thank you. I'll let you do that. Okay, how about this one? An Athens hotel. Uh, visitors are expected to complain at the office between the hours of 9 and 8, 11 a.m. Not a real high expectation for service here, but just go, go ahead and get your complaints out of the way. Uh, this one here is a Japanese hotel. Uh, you were invited to take advantage of the chambermaid. And I don't I don't know. That just could get you in all kinds of trouble. But you see how translation sometimes can be a problem and can kind of get us into some trouble, sometimes that happens when we're looking at Scripture. Uh, you don't may not realize this, I don't know if you do or not, the Bible wasn't written in English. Uh, it was actually written in several different languages. Our original texts that we have, were some were Greek, uh, some were Hebrew, some were Aramaic. Um, but we have some different languages in which those original texts were translated into English. And... As we take a look at that, we sometimes get a hold of words in our English language that, over the centuries, maybe because of our culture and the way we understand certain words, maybe maybe sometimes uh, the words' meaning isn't exactly what they had in mind when it was written in Scripture a couple thousand years ago. And I think it's important when we look at Scripture that we understand words not just what we understand or not necessarily how we understand them today but how they were meant, how they were written in context back when the original text was written. And one such word is the word baptism. When we take a look at the word baptism, and you ask people, and I've done this, this last couple of weeks knowing, and I was preparing to do this sermon, the last couple of weeks I've, I've been asking a lot of people, uh, what does baptism mean? What is your concept of baptism? Uh, what's the plan of salvation? We'll get into some of these questions that I've been asking some folks, but one question, what is baptism? And you're going to get a a wide variety of answers when you ask people this question, especially in terms of what the word means, because it'll range, it might range from some denominations where they practice, well, baptism is sprinkling. Baptism is what you do with a baby when when a baby is is presented. Uh, Baptism is pouring. Baptism is immersion into water. You know, there's a lot of different kinds of uh, ideas about what baptism is, and how it's to be practiced, here's the problem. It doesn't really matter what the word means to us today. It's really irrelevant what it means to us today. If our goal is to model Scripture, if our goal is to understand when the New Testament writers wrote the word baptism, or the Greek word where it came from, baptismo, it's important that we understand what they meant when they wrote it not necessarily how it's evolved through denominations and uh, traditions over the centuries. And so when we look at the word baptismo, we see that the, the exact, the very specific definition from the Greek is this, to immerse, to dunk, or to plunge. That's literally what the word means. It means to immerse, to dunk, or to plunge. We also must understand a little bit that the that Some of the other forms of baptism that we see practiced in the world today, including infant baptism, sprinkling and pouring, among others, uh, a lot of those do not appear historically until the 3rd or 4th century. Uh, in the early church, in the 1st century church, there was really only one clear understanding when the word baptism, baptismo was presented and written in the text. And it's important that we start there and understand what they meant When they wrote the word baptism, they literally meant when a person is dunked under the water and brought back up, completely immersed. Now, I'm not saying this today to point at other people and their practices and say, oh, you're doing it wrong. That's not the point. The point is, I want to be right with Scripture. I want to teach what Scripture has to say. And therefore, I'm not looking at what everybody else is doing and what our culture has done to adapt the word. What I want to do is simply look at what Scripture has to say. What did Scripture mean? What did the New Testament writers mean when they said these words? And so that's where we're going to go with this today is we take a look at these words. Here's an example of what the word really means. I think probably the, the most clear, the clearest place that says it in Scripture is Acts chapter 8. It's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And maybe you know the story is this Ethiopian eunuch who was a part of, of, of the traveling group with the, uh, with the queen of Ethiopia. He, is, he has come to Jerusalem to pray, and he's traveling down the road with his chariot. And Philip, led by the Holy Spirit, sees him. And the Holy Spirit says, go over to him and have a conversation. Well, as Philip approaches this Ethiopian eunuch, he finds him reading out of the Jewish Bible. He was reading specifically out of the book of Isaiah. A prophecy about Jesus. He had no idea what he was looking at. He had never heard of the Messiah or Jesus. Philip walks over to him and hears him reading this passage and says, do you understand what it is you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, I have no clue. Please explain it to me. So Philip gets up on his chariot with him and begins giving him an understanding of the prophecy and telling him about Jesus. He tells him the gospel right there. This Jesus, this is Jesus Christ and I knew the man. I walked with him. And he rose from the dead and he's now in heaven. Let me tell you about him. And Philip goes through and tells him the story and this is what happens in Acts 8:36. It says this, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, "Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized?" And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Think about the language. They went down into the water. They came up out of the water. It means he literally was plunged And all the surrounding passages around the story talk about it as well, coming up out of the water. This passage gives us a great description of what baptism meant to Philip and to everyone who practiced baptism in the first century. When they heard the word, there was no question about what it meant. It was going down into the water, and it was coming back up out of the water. Baptism. As we go to talk about this, now that we kind of have a little bit of an understanding about what the word means, the definition. I want to get into it a little deeper today. I've got three questions that I think we need to answer today. And you can follow along and take notes in your bulletin. And actually, there, there are some, a lot of scripture references that I want to give you today. If you want to do some study on your own, we may not necessarily read every single one of them out loud in the sermon today, but I want to give you a lot of references that you can go do your own Bible study on baptism. You can do this on your own and, and study these things. And let me challenge you to one other thing. I know a lot of you in here have already been obedient in baptism. You already walk with Christ. You've already been transformed by his spirit. Okay? With that being said, I think it is critical that you have a understanding and an ability to be able to explain baptism to someone else. Okay? That's I want you to understand that even if you've already been baptized. This sermon today, I'm hoping to give you some tools because I think it's critical that we as the church be able to explain baptism to people, to be able to talk about it. I've had so many situations where people question, why does your church teach baptism the way you do? Why do you talk about it? And and I'm wondering how many of us in here can even talk about that. Well, I I just know we talk about it a lot. (laughs) I know we teach it, we practice it, but I'm not really sure I understand it completely. Man, that's not an acceptable answer. I've just got to be honest with you. If we're going to talk about and proclaim Christ, and we're going to talk about baptism, we need to be able to explain it. We can't always turn around and say, okay, preacher, why don't you tell them? That's why I'm giving you this today. So there are three questions today we need to answer. And I want to help you with that. Here's the first question I want us to answer today. What is baptism? What what is baptism? And I'm not talking about a definition. I'm talking about what it is. The essence of it. You see, I often hear people say that baptism's a symbol. And maybe you've heard this before. Well, baptism's a symbol. It's a symbol of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And that's what it is. When you do it, you're, you're, you're representing the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that's all it is. It's a symbol. You know, some people talk about it in terms of membership you saw in the video. You know, well, we're, you're baptized to, to associate with and to gain membership into a, a body of believers. While it can mean those things for sure, I think when we actually start looking at the New Testament, when we put aside the traditional and the denominational barriers, the things that maybe we've heard all of our life, and say, let's just go look at Scripture, I think we come to a little deeper understanding of what baptism really is. And I want to help you with that today. Let's start with Galatians 3, verses 26 through 29. And this is a pretty important passage. It says this, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Think about that. That's not a symbol. If you say, when I come up, I am now clothed with Christ. I am now wearing his identity over me. I am now one with anyone else who's ever done this and taken on the Spirit of God. Not only that, I am now his adopted child. Now, you tell me, do you think adoption papers are merely symbolic for a child who's been adopted? They mean something. That child went from being an orphan to belonging to those parents. That's not a symbol, that's real. That's something that happened to that child. Something about that child changed forever. Guess what? When you were baptized into Christ or when you are baptized into Christ, something happens that goes so far beyond mere symbolism. Something really changes within you. You are clothed with Christ. You belong to him. You are his child. That is your identity. It really changes you. Let's look at another passage, Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to move fast today. 37 through 41. This is right after Peter has stood up and preached the first gospel message on the day of Pentecost. And Jerusalem was full of people from all over the world there to celebrate a festival. And people were all over the place. And and the Holy Spirit comes on Peter and the disciples. And Peter stands up and begins preaching the first gospel message. This is where the, the point where the church started. And after that message, this is what happens. Peter's done preaching. And when the people heard this... They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number this day. You see, baptism here clearly is not a symbol to Peter. It isn't just something we do to represent something else. Peter saying this is something you do, and you receive forgiveness of sin and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you begin to walk in a newness of life, something happens inside of you. We have a word for this. It's called sacrament. There's a difference between a symbol and a sacrament. You see, a symbol merely represents something else, but a sacrament is something that happens in you and to you. It changes you. Baptism is not just a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It is not meant just to represent membership in a church body. It is something where God's Spirit changes you and transforms you from the inside out. It brings the grace of God on you. It brings the forgiveness of sin on you. There's one more passage that I want to look at. In this question, in this conversation, John chapter 3, it's a story where one of the Pharisees, a man named Nicodemus, had been hearing the stories about Jesus and his teaching, and he was curious. He wanted to find out more, and so in the dark of the night, he went to Jesus, and he had this conversation. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council he came to jesus at night and said rabbi we know that you're a teacher who has come from god for no one could perform the signs you're doing if god were not with him jesus replied very truly i tell you no one can see see the kingdom of god unless they are born again now you might be thinking the same thing nicodemus was what what does that mean what does it mean to be born again? Okay, I want to know, right? If, it, if Jesus says no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they've been born again, don't you think it's important that we find out what that means? Nicodemus did. It says right here, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water, and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Baptism is not a symbol only. It's a sacrament. It's something that happens to you. When we are baptized, we're not only symbolically sharing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but we are being clothed with Christ. Something supernatural is happening to us from God through baptism. Something changes in us. We are transformed, and at baptism, we become heirs of the promise of God. You see, if Jesus says no one enters the kingdom of heaven unless they're born of water and spirit. Unless they are born of baptism and receive the spirit through that and are transformed because of that, they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Here's the point. Scripture, Jesus himself makes it clear baptism is a part of the plan of salvation. Baptism is a part of it. It isn't an afterthought. It's not something you do later as a response to. It is not something you do because you've decided to follow Jesus. It transforms you into a follower of Jesus. And Scripture makes that so clear here. Something we often hear from people when we talk to them about baptism, and we start talking about baptism being essential for salvation Baptism being a part of the plan of salvation is, and and I can't tell you how many times I've heard it, and maybe some of you hold this thinking, is they'll say, but if you say baptism's required for salvation, doesn't that make it a work in which you earn salvation? Doesn't Ephesians chapter 2 tell us, I'm saved by grace? By faith, not by works, so that no one can boast? Doesn't Ephesians say that? Isn't baptism a work? Aren't you saying if I have to be baptized, then you're telling me I've got to do a work? Here's the thing. I've asked several people this week, and I've told this to you before. I've asked several people, what does it mean to be saved? How, how is one saved? And I'll say this. Most of the answers I get, some, or I can sum up in a couple of phrases. Most people will answer this question, and maybe some of you would answer it this way. You're saved when you accept Jesus in your heart and you begin living your life for him. Does that sound pretty simple? You're saved when you accept Jesus in your heart and you begin living your life for him. I want to stop you right here. I think this is one of the most dangerous lies the American church believes today. Nowhere in scripture do we see that. You cannot point to me a verse even in isolation that says that. What you're promoting when you say accept Jesus and then try to live for Jesus from that point on is you're promoting a works-based salvation. What you're saying is if I accept Jesus and from that day forward, I'm going to try to live a good life for him. You're saying I accept Jesus and I will try to live for him. The problem with that because none of us is righteous. We're all going to fall short. You can't try hard enough to live a life for Christ. You can't do it. I can't. I fail every day. I can't live in such a way that's going to bring pleasure to God and please him and have him look on me and say, oh, look at Daryl and how good he's doing. Man, he's doing fantastic. You know what? Every single day he's looking at my life like filthy rags if it's just about me. I can't do it. The beauty of baptism is when I go before God and I say, this isn't about me accepting you. This is about me submitting my life to you. And when I go into baptism and I am taking on the spirit of God and his cleansing me from that day forward, I am clothing myself with him. I am being covered with his spirit. In his righteousness. From that day forward, I walk in a newness of life not because I'm trying to, but because it's a free gift of grace he's given me. Baptism's not a works based salvation where I'm working to earn my salvation or working to earn God's acceptance. Baptism is a work God does in me, I submit to him and I open the door for his spirit to work through to cleanse to give me that conscience. We see this. We see this and I want to make sure I got the right passages in 1st Peter chapter 3. Look with me at 1st Peter chapter 3 verses 18 to 22. It says, "For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God." He was put to death in the body and made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made a proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism, get this, that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God, it saves you by the resurrection of Christ Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Get this. Baptism saves you. It isn't because you're taking a bath and cleaning yourself from the outside. It's not because you're doing the work of cleaning it's because you're being obedient and submissive to God and because of the resurrection of Christ who now is covering you in his righteousness and because of the cleansing of your sin, your obedience and baptism opens the door for God to do his work in you. It's the pledge of a clear conscience. It's an inner cleansing of sin that God is doing in you. Baptism's not a work you were doing. It is the work God is doing in you. The work of God in you is required for salvation to take place. If it is just about me accepting Jesus and trying to live a good life from this day forward, I will never make it. I will never succeed. Why? Because I can't be good enough. I can't work hard enough to earn God's love. I can't work hard enough and be good enough to stand before him righteous. I can't do it. I need his spirit to transform me from the inside out. Jesus makes it clear that happens at baptism. It's a requirement. Finally, as we finish looking at what baptism is, we need to understand that it is what happens immediately at conversion. It's not an afterthought. It's not something that happens later. We see this as an example. Every time conversion takes place in the New Testament, four clear examples, and if you want to go to BibleGateway.com and just enter the word baptism, you will see even more than the four I'm going to give you. Examples of conversion stories, through, the, especially in the book of Acts, and then the, as a response to that, baptism taking place as a response to their desire To being clothed with Christ and walking with Him. We see it in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, when, when the Samaritans converted by Philip. We also see it in Acts 8. 36, the one we just read, the Ethiopian eunuch. We see it in Acts chapter 10, 47 and 48. That's the household of Cornelius. And when they come to believe, the first Gentiles we have a record of coming to know Christ, and they are baptized. Acts 16, 15, Lydia's household converted by Paul. Their immediate response, and you can see it over and over and over again. These aren't the only four. And so the answer to the question... What is baptism? How can I talk about this in my life? Here's a summary that you can write down if you need it. First of all, baptism is to be immersed or plunged in the water. That's literally what the word means. Two, baptism is not just a symbol, but it is a sacrament where something happens to you. It is a transformation that happens in you. Number three, baptism is not a work we do, but it is a work God does in us to cleanse us from sin and to transform us by his Holy Spirit. And four, baptism is what takes place immediately and is a part of the conversion process. It has to be. Its very definition defines it as being a part of the conversion process of salvation. And so that leads me to a second question. What does baptism do? Now, we've already talked a little bit about this, but I want to get more specific. And you can write these down. And I'm not going to read these scripture references that I'm about to give you. But I'm just going to give them to you. You can study on your own. But baptism that we can easily trace through the New Testament, eight different things that baptism does to you. That makes it a sacrament, not just a symbol. But these eight things are things that baptism does when you are baptized. And you can write these down if you want. First of all, we put on Christ. We already read that passage, Galatians chapter 3. We are clothed with him. We become his representatives. There's another place that talks about, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, that talks about us becoming his ambassadors. We are literally his representative. When people see us, our identity now is Christian, follower of Christ. We represent him in this world. So when we are baptized, we are putting on Christ. Galatians 3, 27. Number two is this, our sins are washed away. We read that just now in the first Peter passage. It also talks about it in Acts twenty two sixteen. 16. Number three, we receive forgiveness of sin when we are baptized. We receive forgiveness of sins. The passage we read, Acts two thirty eight, where Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sin and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What else happens when we're baptized? We're saved. The First Peter passage we just read, chapter 3, verse 21, talks about it. We're saved. Number five, we are made free from sin. What does baptism do? It frees us from sin. Now, this is where I want to take a little aside just for a second. Romans 6, 1 through 14 talks about this, specifically verse 7, if you want to take a look at that, when it, when it, talks, about, it talks about this one, that we are made free from sin. It's interesting when you take a look at this passage because people will talk about, well, Romans 10, 9 through 11, a lot of people will use that in an argument against everything I'm preaching today. And they'll say, wait a second. It says, if I hear and I believed, then I'll be saved. Why are you trying to make it more complicated? I'm not trying to make it more complicated. I'm simply giving you the context. Okay? Paul wrote chapter 6 before he wrote chapter 10. But he wrote them both, did he not? You see, when Peter talks about hearing the words of Christ and believing about the gospel, he's also understanding that you've already read what he said in chapter 6 just a few chapters earlier about baptism and how baptism makes you free from sin, and how it's a part of this process of believing and submission and obedience. You see, when you're going to study Scripture, you've got to look at it as a big picture. You've got to look at all of it. You can't look at chapter 10 and ignore chapter 6, especially when it's written by the same guy, maybe even in the same sitting. You see, you have to take it all together. We can't just pick and choose some verses that say, oh, well, it just makes it so simple here. And then you try to make it more complicated by throwing all this other stuff. That's not what I'm doing. I'm trying to give you a big picture here of what Scripture says takes place in a person's life when they do hear the message and they believe it. And they come to a place where they repent and they confess Jesus as Lord and they submit to him through obedience and baptism. And they are transformed from the inside out because of that and walk in a newness of life. Not because they're trying to, but because the Spirit has empowered them to. Because the Spirit has cleansed them from the inside out. And that is what baptism does. Number six, we are united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection and life. And it talks about that also in Romans 6, 1 through 14. Number seven, we enter the body of Christ, the church. We enter the body of Christ. It talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, that we are now part of the body. And it connects it directly with baptism. And then finally, number eight, we are marked as disciples of Jesus. Acts, uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission Going to all the world, teaching and baptizing, marking people as belonging to him. We are marked as disciples of Jesus from that day forward. It's critical that we understand that baptism is the culmination of the process of salvation. And I just said it before, I hear the gospel, I believe it, I respond to it through repenting of my sin and and the fact that I'm not righteous. And I confess before others, that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I'm obedient and submissive to Him in baptism, and He comes into me. I'm clothed with Him, and He transforms me from the inside out so that I can walk in a newness of life. If you can't preach a sermon to someone, you can tell them those five things hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized walk in a newness of life. You can talk about that with people. That's easy to understand when you break it down that way, and we need to be able to do that. You see, this is just the beginning of discipleship. When we are baptized, it's the beginning. It's just where we're getting started in our walk with him. He transforms us to walk from that day forward with him. Our salvation is is a pursuit of God, a submission to him for the rest of our lives. There are so many people sitting in churches across America today that have bought into this idea that I accept Jesus and I try to live for him. I, I come to Christ and then my job the rest of my life is to come sit in a church pew once a week so that I can feel better about myself and the rest of the week everything's okay and I can do whatever I want. There are so many others who've come to a place where they've come to know Christ in their life and they have this idea that I show up in my church and, I, and, I, and I, even if I give and I do those things, but I don't necessarily have to walk closer to him anymore from that day forward and they start forgetting about the rest of the things that happen when you're transformed by the spirit of God how he creates in you a desire to serve others how he creates in you a desire to present the gospel how he creates in you a desire to walk with him in purity and righteousness not because you're trying but because he's put it in you through his spirit and I've got to ask you today is that in you Or are you just content to come sit here every week and go home and forget about it until next week? Has the Spirit changed you from the inside out? Has it transformed you? And are you being obedient when he calls? You see, baptism baptism does so much in a believer's life. There's no way you could just say it's a symbol. It's something I do for membership. It's something I do once I've been saved. It's just a good thing to do. There's no way. Baptism is something you will remember for the rest of your life. How many of you remember where you were and what you were doing on September 11th, 2001 at about 9.30 that morning and even earlier? If you were alive, you remember exactly where you were and what you were doing. Why? Because that was a significant event in your life. There are probably a few others for you, a handful, not many, but a handful of events that have taken place, maybe there were things that happened personally to you, maybe there were big national things like 9-11. But there are just a handful of things that happen in our lives that we remember where we were, what we were doing. Baptism is a pinnacle, is a turning point, is, is a momentous moment in your life. Do you remember where you were and who did it and what was said? You see, that's the moment everything changed for you if you were really submissive to him. If you really took him as your Lord and Savior. If his spirit did come on you to change you from the inside out. Have you been obedient? Because these are things baptism does to someone who has. The third question is this. Is baptism essential for salvation? Now this is a Touchy topic for some people. There's a great debate in churches about the role baptism plays in the life of a believer. And it's always interesting to me when we talk about this, the questions that come up, like, well, do I have to be baptized to be a a Christian? Well, I always want to change the question a little bit when I hear that. I want to encourage you to maybe change the question for yourself. Ask yourself this, why wouldn't I be baptized? The scriptural importance and necessity for baptism is overwhelming. You've seen passage just this morning in the last 30 minutes. You've seen passage after passage after passage that points to the importance of baptism and the role it plays in the believer's life and in salvation. I'm not making this stuff up. Everything I'm giving you today is straight from Scripture. Set aside your preconceived ideas and traditional thoughts about salvation and baptism. Allow God's word to speak to you and to move you. Who are we to question God and his commands? My challenge to you is if this is something that's bothering you or is weighing on you or if the things I'm saying challenge or contradict even some of the teachings you were raised with, I challenge you, don't just take my word for it. Go to Scripture with it. Study the passages I've thrown out at you today. How do you react to a willfully disobedient child? What happens in your, in your family? You know, it's frustrating and it upsets everyone. It leads to punishment. i got to say this. The teaching on baptism, the command of baptism is really clear. And our response is simply an act of submission and obedience to him. I don't think any of us in here wants to be that willfully disobedient child just because someone throws out an exception. What about the thief on the cross? He wasn't baptized and Jesus said you'd be in paradise. Or what about the deathbed conversion of someone who decides on, on their deathbed before they pass to take Christ as their Savior? And I've got to tell you this, if you're going to hinge your theology and the way you practice the commands of God on exceptions like that, you're playing Russian roulette in a pretty dangerous way. You're taking a pretty big risk. It's not my place to say, to question Jesus about the thief on the cross and his eternal destiny. It's not my place to make a judgment on someone lying on their deathbed coming to Christ at that last moment. whether they go to heaven or not that's not my call thank goodness that's not my decision to make let those exceptions be between those people and God today you've clearly heard what scripture has to say and you need to make a choice on whether you're going to be obedient or disobedient to what that scripture has to say I'll tell you this As a church, we are going to teach what Scripture says. We are not going to try to pull out exceptions, and we are not going to try to build a theology on exceptions. We have no right to question whether or not the thief on the cross is saved. We have no right to question whether or not a deathbed conversion is real. All we can answer to is whether or not we're obedient to the clear call of Scripture the call that says we must be baptized. In order to be saved with that knowledge, with the understanding of what I've read to you today and what I've said to you today, why would you not be baptized right here and right now if you've never been obedient to that before? To be a follower of Jesus, a Christian, we must take him as our Lord and Savior. To make him our Lord means that we completely submit our lives into his hands and his will. Baptism is a beautiful picture of our submission to him. It's me coming and saying, Jesus, here I am. All of me belongs to you. Today, I don't want to make it any more complicated. We're going to offer an invitation. And today, this call, this invitation is about one thing. Have you given your life to him? Have you been submissive to him in baptism? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior and called on him to come into your life and transform you from the inside out? If you've not yet been obedient to that, there is no reason for you to walk out the doors today without making that choice. And let's be honest, if you walk out the door today without making that choice, you've made a choice. Hopefully it's not the last chance. But why, knowing the truth of Scripture, would you not respond today to what he's called you to do? We're going to sing a hymn. And I'm simply asking, if you need to respond to that today, come down front and talk to me. The band is ready to keep playing songs while we go get ready and we baptize you, we can go into immersion today. I mean, hey, it's called immersion, isn't it? It would be appropriate. Let's do it. Let's do it now. Respond how you need to respond. Will you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for the opportunity we've had to, to worship together and to look into your word. And God, this message, there is no more plain, clear message given in Scripture than this one that we must submit to you. We must give our lives to you and make you our Lord and Savior and call on your spirit to come into us through the sacrament of baptism that does so much more than just symbolize who we walk with. It changes us by your spirit from the inside out. God, please move us to respond to what we've heard. If we never have before God, please help us, help us to be obedient to you. Please move us to be obedient in these things, in Jesus' name, amen.